the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 364 for Monday, November 14th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in your questions. Maybe you send in your tips. We provide some answers for you. We share some tips of our own, and together... We all learn something new about our computers and our iDevices, specifically our Macs and iPhones. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, with Macs and iDevices, John F. Braun. There we are. Yeah. So the uh, the Skype wires are working well today, John. You sound good. I like that. And uh, and here we are. Let's uh, let, you know what. Let's dive right in. Let's go to let's go to Sandy here. See if we can uh, see if we can kick this off with a couple of good couple of good questions and a couple of good answers. Sandy writes, I've got two problems that have been going on for a while that I haven't been able to resolve on my early 2010 iMac. Number one, there is a file I put in the trash called lost and found. Every time I try to empty the trash, I get this error that says the operation can't be completed because the item DIR 808277 is in use. There are thousands of these files. How do I get rid of them? It seems to me I've had this problem before, but I can't for the life of me remember how I fixed it. And question number, well, let's answer question number one. Then we'll go to question number two. So uh, you got some thoughts here on this, John? Always. Well, I got to say, maybe maybe I can draw on your Unix expertise, but something with that name makes me especially nervous here. Lost and found is not... Yeah, you're right, because in, in in going back to my Unix days, and I mean, they're not that long ago, because sometimes I'm in our, logged into our servers, and of course, our Mac OS X machines are Unix machines. But yeah, there there are folders called Lost and Found that show up sometimes. Now, she may have made her Lost and Found folder, but I don't think she did, especially with generic directory names like that. Lost and Found is when uh, the file system recovers something or stumbles onto something that, uh, and I don't know exactly, so I'm sure uh, Scott... Uh, or, or are various other Unix experts out there are going to help us and explain exactly what this folder is. But, but in my experience, it's stuff that has lost its name, if you will, it's lost its directory entry and then it's found, but uh, it, we don't know what to call it. So it just calls it these things. Now in Mac OS 10, sometimes that folder does wind up in the trash um, and it probably is marked not to be deleted for various reasons. So that's, that, that that's my, Yes, there, I do have some recollection and some history with lost and found folders, John. Okay, good. But to try to help solve the problem and also waiting for perhaps additional information, yep. there are a couple of things I would try uh, in the following order. So one, I found that sometimes instead of choosing just a regular empty trash, you can, from the finder, there is in the finder menu a secure empty trash option which does something uh, a, a little extra. So it basically scrubs the, uh, scrubs the contents. But, uh, but I have had occasions where that has worked when empty trash has not. Okay, so. now, now in the old days, we used to be able to hold down the option key and that would bypass any locked files or, or rather allow us to delete any locked files. It would ignore the fact that files in the trash were locked. 
and would delete them. Uh, now, of course, holding down the option key bypasses any dialogue that you might get before you empty the trash. But I wonder if it also does what it used to do with the option key and just blows everything away if it can. Very well could. Yeah. <clears throat> and then looking at other people that had this problem, I saw multiple people suggest trying a piece of software called Trash It! Exclamation point. And it looks like uh, version 5.0 has been released. And I'm not quite sure what magic this program uh, does, uh, but it looks like it's been updated. It's 64-bit ready. Um, and it has a number of options here, but I've seen people suggest that using Trash It hmm. may be a way to, uh, to get around this. Though caution for any of these operations, well, especially using a program like this here, uh, I've also seen feedback that if you try something like this, it, it may be indicative, not being able to do this may be indicative of, of a greater problem with what's on your hard drive. So you may, uh, so please, please make a backup of all your content because even though some of these may appear to work and get rid of the stuff, it, it may cause additional problems and yeah. take your system down. You, you know what? I mean, of course, now that you're saying to a backup and, and then we're talking about this lost and found folder again, that's usually the result of some file system corruption uh, and the files that sort of got orphaned because of that. So, uh, you know, maybe running uh, disk utility or going to single user mode with command S on boot and then running the FSCK <sighs> command that appears uh. Right. When you go into single user mode, I don't even have to tell you what it is. It, it is terminal gobbledygook uh, for those of you that don't like such things. But uh, but it is right there and it'll tell you what to write um, so that 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 might actually there might be an underlying problem uh, that that certainly caused this and maybe preventing you from deleting those files, too. All right. And I think the, oh, the well, well, the final thought. Though, though I asked, you know, please try these options first here. I mean, the most extreme option would be to go into the terminal and do the Unix uh, kind of Hail Mary thing, which is, and, and depending, you know, actually I noticed this here. So, so I'm looking on my Snow Leopard machine and there is a hidden directory. And I know it's a hidden directory because there's a period before it. Yep. But on my Snow Leopard machine, it looks like they changed this. I hadn't noticed this until I just looked at it now here. But so on my Snow Leopard machine, there is a dot trash directory. That's and on right. my Lion machine, there is a dot trashes directory. And I think they're both doing the same thing is that they're hidden probably for a good reason, but they are hidden directories. And I think if you, and I think you may have to sudo in order to get into them. And you could do the fabled RM space dash FR. But I didn't want to mention that because to me, that's a, a rather extreme operation. And, and you got to be very careful doing that. And, you know, you have to be careful because you typically have to do pseudo in order to get it to work at all. Otherwise, it's going to say, no, I, I can't do this. This is crazy. Now, on my Lion machine in my home folder anyway, uh, my trash folder is just called dot trash, just like it is on my Snow Leopard machine. Yeah. Okay. That's now there. Now at the root of, uh, I believe at the root of both of these machines is dot trashes, but, uh, but let me check. Yeah. Dot trashes is at the root of the hard drive. Uh, dot trash is the folder that's inside my, uh, my user folder. And so were you perhaps looking in two different locations when you saw that? Cause I don't think that behavior has changed since we upgraded the lion. I think trash is dealt with the same way. 
Uh, no, you're right. No, okay. now that I look on my line machine, it is dot capital T R A S H. Right. Right. But I think that's where all trash, though it may, uh, I think if you go there, then eventually you may see a subdirectory. I think it may key it by your user, your UID or, or something like that. But I think that's where the trash really is as far as the Unix file system is concerned. But I want I want to see how she does with the first two options there before before getting extreme and doing a RM space dash FR because that is right. <laughs> no going back. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, question number two is, uh, Sandy says, I have a magical startup on occasion and seemingly out of the blue. My iMac will start up on its own. No human hand involved. And as far as I can tell, nothing set up in system preferences. When I say startup, I mean, I've completely shut it down, powered off. And maybe days later or in the middle of the night, it will start up on its own. Thoughts on this, John? <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I'm glad uh, Sandy qualified this by saying human hands right. uh, were not involved. So item number one, and I'm not being silly here. Well, maybe a little bit silly, but um, there may be non-human hands at work here. Yeah, but this is an iMac. So those have that recessed little button on the back of the, uh, you know, back corner of the of the iMac. I don't I don't know that you could get a pet to do that. I don't, I've seen cats do wondrous things I guess with computers, yeah. mostly using them as a heat source. But uh, right. right. So, so, so being somewhat serious, either kids or, or critters. Now, I'm not being really serious, but <laughs> to, to get to the technology here and to get to something quantifiable, uh, not a cat. If you do go into system preferences within and, and I wrote back and said, you may want to check this one place here. So I suspect I don't know how it was set, but if you go to into energy saver, then there is a schedule dot, dot, dot button. Yep. And there was an option in there called start or wake. Yes, you can set your Mac to mystically wake up or start up at a particular time. And I don't know if that was either set by accident or intentionally and just forgotten about. Uh, And you can set the time period to be, uh, it would, appear to me daily all sorts of different options here so i wonder if that was set inadvertently the other thing is would it be you know it could be a corrupted energy saver p list file i I don't know the specific name of that file i don't know if it's com.apple.energysaver.p list or something like that i don't yeah uh, you know i'm i'm also thinking there may not be um it may not show up in energy saver, but the PM set command from the terminal uh, will allow mm. you to set uh, recurring schedules for wake ups and shutdowns. And what I'm trying to do quickly here, because I'm just thinking about this while we're while we're working is to figure out what the um, what the command would be to show this. Um and I can't, I can't figure that out. Uh, I know it's PM set space schedule. And then uh, it, and then you tell it what your, you know, what you want your schedule to be. Um, but I'm not sure how to get it to show me. Ah, so it would be PM set space dash G space S C H E D. And that will tell you if there are any scheduled events. So if you go to the terminal 
and then type PM set space dash G space S C H E D. The first five characters of the word schedule that will let you know if there are any scheduled events, shutdowns, sleeps, wakes, all of that stuff. Uh, and that might, that might indicate what you've got going on there. And then, wow. you can, yeah, you go because I knew it was that. It, and uh, yeah, I was following along with you at home here. That and has, I did a man PM set in right. order to see that yeah one of the uh, arguments for the dash G was sketch. Yep. And, and my computer here says no scheduled events. Uh, right. as I assume yours does. The final thought is that it could be. And, you know, I did run into this on. I, I, I did some service on some very early IMAX and, and some of them did have a faulty power button. These were the Uh-oh. candy colored ones. So, so I'm thinking. Another thing could be now the thing is, I, I, I don't think Apple has done keyboards with power buttons on them for a while, but it could either be a faulty power button, right. which I think with the latest IMAX is, is unlikely. But on the very first generation IMAX, it was a problem. And I did actually have to break out the soldering iron and fix one because the machine was doing wacky things, uh, shutting down, I think, starting up. Or if you have a keyboard that has a power button on it, maybe that keyboard is, is faulty. So, so that that would be my hardware angle. You know, there is this. another hardware angle for those of you go. Uh, oh, uh, yes. playing along. There Network is, related? No. If you Ooh. go to um, System Preferences Bluetooth in advanced, there is an uh. option that says allow Bluetooth, excuse me, uh, allow Bluetooth devices to wake this computer. Now, I don't know if that would wake. Be, right. Uh, yeah. that, and wake is, of course, different than startup in, in some ways. So uh, So I don't know if that would do it, but that would be something else to check. All right, moving on to Michael, who has an interesting question, as they all are. Uh, Michael says, oh, and do I have uh, do I have audio from Michael? I should have audio from Michael, but I don't. But I'm going to find it because it's good audio to have. So uh, so do you want to tell him something or should I should I play the uh, the theme music while we uh, while we do this? I think we can. I think we've got uh, we've got time we've got filler music all right so let me see if i can (laughs) yeah okay wow you had that ready i'm impressed i know Uh, where is he here what is that (laughs) i'm sorry what's that that clip that's very relaxing (laughs) it is it's it's uh, the girl from ipanema Okay, so let's see. I've got Michael here. I got to go put him into our into Yojimbo so that it can play, and then uh, and then we'll go ahead and uh, and we'll we'll see if we can play old Michael's question here because it is a good question. Hi, John and Dave. This is Michael in Garland, Texas. I use a Mac Mini as a home theater PC, and one of its other jobs is to run a program called iRed 2 that lets me use an iPhone or other device as a remote control for the TV. However, uh, a lot of times the remote control stops responding, and it's because iRed 2 has crashed. Do you know of a program that would monitor another program for me and automatically restart it if it quits? For extra credit, it would notice when the program stops responding, force quit it, and restart it. And for extra extra credit, it would take the contents of the OS ten crash report and email them to a destination of my choosing. Thanks a lot for any advice. Have a great day. All right. Well, let's see if uh, that works. Okay, good. So, um, so I'll start with the initial question, uh, which is: Is there a program that would 
essentially watch what's going on and make sure an app stays running even after it has crashed. And the answer is yes. Uh, in fact, it's built into the OS. It's called Launch D, and it is the parent of sort of all the processes, and it's what keeps uh, it makes everything go. In order to manage LaunchD, though, you either need to be really happy and comfortable writing plist files for it, or you can use something like uh, a tool we've mentioned many times called Lingon. Now, there's there's actually two versions of Lingon in the Mac App Store. Uh, I think they're both. Uh, I think they're two ninety nine. Link there's Lingon, which is version two point something, and then there's Lingon three. Uh, they both will do this. Uh, Lingon three is, I believe Lingon three was built because of the whole OS 10 sandboxing thing, uh, because Lingon three doesn't let you see system uh, uh, wide things. It only lets you edit things in your user um, account, but uh, it will suffice for this and, and, and works just fine. Of course, Lingon two will let you do this too. So what you do is you create a new event, you give it a unique name and the name can be anything you want and you point it at your application. Now uh, let's say for example, you know, we wanted to run the calculator app. Uh, You'd go into applications and then, and this is from within Lingon. And then you can't just choose calculator app. You have to dig in as we've talked about in this show, applications are uh, packages And the actual application is buried much deeper. So you go into applications, you'll see a folder because of the way Lingon navigates this stuff called, you know, a folder for each of your apps. So find the one for, in this case, calculator.app. Look in the contents folder and the Mac OS folder. In there, you will find the single application that actually launches when you you, uh, double click. And then uh, there's a couple checkboxes, and one of them is uh, launch it at login and load, and the other is keep running. And in fact, even if you go to the file menu and quit this app, once you've uh, loaded this, this uh, item into launch TV via Lingon, uh, it will relaunch it immediately. So that's, that's how you do this. Now, as far as an app that has crashed, I'm not sure that that's possible to manage with Lingon. Um, I, I don't, I don't have any thoughts on that one. Do you, do you, John? <sighs> yes. Oh, Good. My thought is as follows. I, I would more lean towards, you know, I'm trying to look here. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm trying to find where it puts the crash reports. They keep moving around. I, I think they've stabilized here uh, under the latest OS here. I'm thinking you could probably write an automator action to look at the folder where the uh, the, the, the crash reports yeah. are put. And maybe while I'm hemming and hawing here. But, but what I would do is write an automator action that looks at this folder where you get the files that eventually if you indicate you're cool with this will get sent to apple but if it sees anything new in a folder it would then grab it and email it to you so that would be my approach well yeah and you could you could also have it issue you know if it again if it's calculator right you could uh if if a crash report shows up for the app called calculator uh, you could have it. Well, no crash reports are only going to happen after an app actually crashes and quits. So I was going to say you could have it force quit calculator. And then of course, Lingon would restart it. But, uh, but that wouldn't really matter because by this point it's already been relaunched because you only get a crash report. It's in uh, library logs. Crash reporters where this stuff usually um, appears all the way. Or can go in other places. You know, it's funny. You know, I think there are two places. Well, I think, all right, so yeah, so as you pointed out, I think what you just said, I was paying attention a little bit because I was surfing around on okay. the machine here, is that, so yeah, so your user directory, 
um, library logs. And I see two places, and it's funny because at least on my Snow Leopard machine, I see both crash reporter and diagnostic reports. And I think diagnostic reports is actually... I don't think that's where crash reports go. Oh, I... Well, I'm seeing a whole bunch of files here dated November 10th with a dot crash at the end of them. Oh, so I'm going right. to respectfully disagree with you on this. Why I ought to? And actually, they're all HL2 underscore OS10, under, which is uh, Steam. Steam okay. has been crashing on me as of late. But let me look in. And, and the other one is Crash Reporter. Uh, crash Reporter ha- and Crash Reporter, my directory for that. Let me look. Nope. It also ha- actually, oh, look, it has links to files in the other directory. Oh, okay. okay. So either one of those, if you see So I would say, yeah, an automator action that looks and says, hey, is there something new here? Oh, there is. All right. E- email it off. I, yeah. I would be my initial approach to, to this uh, problem to learn about. Or just check those directories every now and then. Maybe put a shortcut to them on your on your desktop. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that gives you some uh, some fun to have there, Michael. Uh, Doug writes. Actually, you know what? Before we do Doug, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. And our first sponsor is Barebones. Uh, we have talked about Barebones before. We are always happy to do it. And the beautiful thing that we want to talk about from Barebones today is their flagship product, BB Edit. Now, you've all heard that BB Edit is a great tool for programmers. And in fact, we've said that for years. And uh, and the value of it for programmers made it well worth its, you know, three digit price tag. But that price tag is no longer uh, BB edit now is 50 bucks. That's it. Uh, and it is the cream of the crop of text editors. In fact, if you need to edit text uh, of any kind, you know, especially if you're a programmer or a coder, this is the app you want to have on your Mac. Uh, it is so powerful. You can do multi-file find and replace. Have you ever wanted to take a group of files and make changes throughout all of them? BB edit will do it. It's got this multi-file find and replace really powerful. It'll show you all the results. You can choose to save or not save. Uh, if you happen to manage a website that, uh, that maybe you use uh, an FTP server, What's really cool is you can open from within BB edit. You can open directly from an FTP server. And then when you hit command S to save, it automatically uploads it back to the FTP server without you doing anything. Uh, Really, really cool stuff. And these people, man, I mean, they, you know, with all the code folding where, you know, if you've got a a structure inside your code, maybe an HTML entity, a paragraph or, or a function in your, uh, in maybe some C code or some something else. Uh, you can twist those open and closed with little triangles that are just like the finder. This app's it's awesome. Uh, and I, I'm so happy to be able to recommend it. Uh, you visit barebones.com. Uh, you can buy it there. You can buy it through the Mac app store and, uh, and you're good to go. You can get a, of course you can get a free trial from barebones.com and that's how I recommend you start. And then when you're ready to buy, I would actually go buy it through the Mac app store only because, uh, then you can install it on all your Macs and uh, and you're licensed out that way and it's really easy. But uh, but you can also buy it right from their website. Whatever is easiest for you, uh, they're cool with it all. So barebones.com, your source for BB Edit. And certainly go get your free trial and play with it. My guess is you'll be a customer real fast. So barebones.com. And that brings us to Doug. Doug says, uh, 
I want to get your opinion on whether it is okay to just put my MacBook Pro and MacBook Air laptops in a plastic bag besides the protective cover that I already use on them. I take them along in an 18-wheeler, and it can be a dusty environment. My concern is that there is a static problem with regular plastic as opposed to the anti-static bags that vendors use when they ship you a hard drive or RAM. I guess my question is whether you think I should find a source for an anti-static bag big enough to put a laptop in. They seem to be very pricey and not easily available. All right. So um, my thoughts on this are, oh, what did I do? I typed something and I lost Doug here. Um, my thoughts on this, John, are that uh, plastic bags do attract static. I mean, he's definitely right about that. In fact, for any of you out there that you know ever buy hard drives or even RAM that comes in an anti-static bag, there's an important lesson. Those bags are only anti-static on the inside. The outside attracts just as much static, perhaps even more, than, uh, than a standard plastic bag. So taking the RAM or the hard drive out of the bag and placing it on top of it, you might have just, uh, you know, sort of defeated the purpose of having it put inside an anti-static bag to begin with. So just be aware of that. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I think if we were going to do everything right, yeah, you'd want to have anti-static bags for your for your laptops. But those are pretty well shielded, especially on the outside. I mean, you know, they can even can even drop some water on them and it's not going to ruin them. Uh, I mean, you don't want to bring them in the shower or anything. But uh, but if they get, you know, I mean, I've I've had you know, moisture, you know, drip onto my closed MacBook pro and it still runs fine. So my guess is that the outside of these probably could, could withstand what you're doing to them. Uh, but John, you, you, you might have some thoughts on this. That was a good lead in. You gotta, you gotta mix them up a bit. You promised right. you would. I but know that, but no, that's good. <laughs> uh, so no experience owning MacBooks for all the years that I've owned them, I've never used an anti-static bag. Though it doesn't sound like a bad idea. <sighs> you know, I, I'm I'm torn here. the The thing is, I I want to think about some of the things that happen. So, like you mentioned, I don't know if I'd agree that they necessarily attract static, Dave. Regular plastic bags, but people certainly accumulate a static charge, which has to be discharged if you get to something. Uh, either metal or something that's grounded. and the, So I guess what I'm rec recommending here, so, so number one, yeah, as you point out, the thing is anti-static bags are plastic with a special treatment, either a coating, typically on the inside, or sometimes they'll have a metal coating and they actually act as a, a Faraday cage. You can look that up or we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes and they'll dissipate the static in a nice way so it doesn't hit one point. Hmm. I guess what I'm pointing out is that so a few things to avoid static. So number one, static, especially for those of us who live anywhere, you know, that gets cold or in the Northeast here is that it happens when you have low humidity. So number one, if you can increase the humidity in your environment, that that may help. Number two, as I pointed out, you know, it'll go if you build up a static charge on you, it'll go to something typically that is grounded somehow. So you may want to think of finding a way for you to ground yourself or something that you can touch on occasion so you will not build up so much of a, of a charge on your body, which can then be transferred to the device itself. So having the device itself inside a plastic bag, in your opinion, isn't going to generate static. It's just that any static that you apply to this won't necessarily be properly dissipated by a standard plastic bag. Is that is that 
Do I understand that correctly? I, I think that's safe to, well, I don't think the device itself will generate or attract static, but you being the person. Sure who is walking on a carpet, which is the typical and even, you know, right. the grade school joke here is you, you know, in, in a very uh, low humidity, you rub your sneakers and then you walk over to somebody and you zap them right. or you hit a doorknob and then you get a little shock. So, so, so it's so not in, so much that the device itself is attracting static, but I think it's that people build up a charge or whatever is around you built up a charge. And then when you get near something that has the potential to take it away from you, it then goes to that, whether it be a doorknob, another person or the computer. So in Doug's case, keeping the computer inside a regular plastic bag to shield it from the dust and the elements and, and all of that in the cab of his truck is probably fine. But before he takes it out, he should make sure he uh, he touches something metal to dissipate any static that might have built up on him. Is that is that a safe bet? I, I think that's a safe bet. Okay. What, what I would say is having it inside of anything. And, and you know, like I mentioned, I, I've just had a regular computer bag, you know, slightly larger than the computer itself. But you know what you may, you know, I think it would be well, a he, he less. He needs something airtight with all that dust. I mean, I know what he's talking about. You, you know, I've, I've seen computers that have lived okay. in, you know, sand and loam factories and things like that. And, you know, it, it's, it's a disaster. Well, you know what I'm thinking here? You know what? Maybe an inexpensive solution versus the bags, because uh, on the one hand, I recently worked in an environment that had like a whole lab full of electrical engineers and, and people were ordering prototype boards and circuit boards and stuff. Yeah. So we had a plethora. We just had mountains of these special bags. And you can usually tell because they're typically either colored pink, which means I think that they had a coating applied to them. Or a lot of times they're they're kind of a dark color and you'll see a grid on them, which I think those bags typically have metal applied to them and they act more as a Faraday cage, which helps dissipate the charge. But you may want to consider getting a, a simple uh, one of these uh, straps that people use that work in electronic labs mm. and maybe clipping it to anything. Now, of course, if you're in a 18 wheeler or, or any vehicle, you, you'll have something that will be considered ground. So it's if you're hard running to connect it, yourself to ground in a vehicle, there's no, there's no reason not to do that. Right. I think that's okay. Um, I'm just, I just, I'm just talking it out here. I think that's no, okay. no, I'm thinking it, I'm thinking yeah. it out here. I mean, you're, you're, uh, I would think if you have one of the annex anti static strips or, or wristbands yeah tied to ground so if you if you notice that a lot of times you're 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 touching things and you're zapping stuff then i think one of these things would help reduce that and help you know level out the amount of uh that that sort of thing happening i think what cool. what i hear what i hear him saying is that he's touching things and zapping them and he's concerned that he's going to zap the computer which you certainly could sure. damage something if if that happens so Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to Robert here. Robert has a, a strange issue, which, of course, in the email that you forwarded through to me, John doesn't explain <laughs> the issue. But, uh, but but we don't have Robert's description of the issue, but I know what it is. Essentially, he's got an iPod and when he plugs it into his computer, iTunes no longer sees it. So uh System profiler sees it, but it doesn't show up in the finder and it doesn't show up inside iTunes. So, uh, so John, there you go. I, yeah. I, 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 there you go. I've set it up for you. How does he solve this problem? I'd say the way to solve this problem is, well, I found an article that I suggested to him. So, you know, well, I'm kind of <laughs> wimping out here, but there is a wonderful article, uh, 
that Apple provides on their support site called iPod not recognized in iTunes and Mac desktop. And that sounds like exactly what Robert ran into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they go into multiple steps here. And I, I, I don't think I necessarily want to read all of them. Right. <laughs> I, I, you, I, you prep this question, dude. It's all you. I'm just setting it up for you. So, you know, you, you go. <laughs> Am I leaving you hanging here? I didn't mean to. Well, you're, you're kind of leaving me hanging because, you know, the thing is, I suggested. You, you, so I offered him a, a suggestion. The thing is, I noticed this happening in, in a sense with one of my devices. that it, it wasn't paying attention to what iTunes said was happening. And uh, so I pointed him to this article. I would think one thing perhaps is that you could wipe your iTunes uh, prep file. And, and maybe there's a setting in iTunes that isn't quite right. Uh, the, my observation is that I noticed is that one of the iTunes settings that I had wasn't working right with my iPhone. And when I did a upgrade to iOS five, all of a sudden it, it started working again, which is telling it, you know, by the way, uh, iTunes, please pay attention to this device. Um, one thing I've done in the past, cause I have a, I have an old iPod classic that, uh, well, it's old and, and it ooh, gets flaky. Hard drive? So, uh, yeah, with a hard drive in it. Yep. Wow. And well, you can still buy them because it's the only way you're going to get an iPod that's going to hold. Can you still? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I thought they were phasing those out. I mean, they're they're nope. pretty. I mean, they're up to what, like 80 gigs, I think, is the largest one. Uh, or, or pretty substantial. OK, so pretty substantial hard drive space to hold. Yeah. Well, actually, is there collection. a 128 on the uh, there might be a 128, but there's not a 160. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a there's an iPod touch. Gosh, I can't. Now it's funny. I can't remember. Um how they uh, how they did this? So let's let's check it out. So the iPod Touch will go up to sixty four. Okay, uh, so you can go up to one sixty on these uh, on these iPod Classics, and they do still sell them. They stock them in the Apple stores, but mine is old. And occasionally, when I plug it in, iTunes doesn't see it. I will see it in System Profiler, uh, but iTunes won't. And there's two things that I've been able to do to get it to work. Number one is to hmm. quit iTunes uh, and relaunch it. Some something about the, you know, iTunes starting up causes it to look for this and perhaps a more aggressive. Way. I don't know, you know, but it but it's consistent that that often fixes it. If that doesn't, then it means that the iPod is probably stuck somewhere. So at least on the classic, I do a full reset, uh, not a full reset, but a reboot of the iPod. And on the classic, you do that by holding down the middle button. Of course, this is the old click wheel, right? Uh, you hold down the, the middle button. And you and the menu button, uh, so the top of the wheel, and you hold those down for 10 seconds and it'll force it through a reboot. And then as it comes back up, iTunes says, aha, I've seen this. So so resetting the device or or especially just making sure it's connected and then launching iTunes after it's connected, which in my case means quitting iTunes and then relaunching it because it's always. Yeah. Running. So the thing is what Robert said, and Robert is uh, someone I've met in the past. He lives in the local area. Mm-hmm. But he said, I reset the iPod via the on-screen controls, which I think is what so that's, you, you just said. That's right. Yep. And he said, still nothing. The thing that has me scratching my head here. So, so I suggested, so I kind of babble about my problem, which really wasn't relevant to his situation. But, <laughs> but it ended in by pointing him towards the support article, which led you to a step-by-step process where you could try to solve this problem. Uh-huh. I guess the thing that gets me is uh, he did write back in his final email and said, oh, well, guess what? I plugged it into my computer Uh, here, here, word for word. Thanks. I just tried plugging it in again today and it's and it's working again. Go figure. That's the threat of the geeks right there, folks. That's what got that iPod to work again. That's what it takes. It was in fear of us. But, you know, that's right. I got to say, if I had to figure out what was going on. 
Oh no, it doesn't make sense. You know, no, I'm going to say it. I think he may have a flaky cable, which yeah, is one of the things they point system out. Profiler, if it did, probably not. Right. Sometimes it may. He could he could use your friend hardware growler to see if it shows that it connected. Oh, and we're going to touch on that eventually. But you know, that's a very good point. So so we. Yeah, he said at some point he saw it show up, I guess, if you run System Profiler and you go to USB, assuming it's connected by USB, you will see something called iPod. Right. I don't know. I'm still leaning towards his cable being flaky. Uh, I just can't imagine that all of a sudden, again, under unless it's under the threat of, you know, the Mac ECAB. Right. <laughs> it all of a sudden started threat. working. That's right. Well, well, I don't know if it's sufficient to make something all of a sudden work again. So so I'm I'm going to lean towards... Uh, him having a flaky cable. Now, I, like probably you, Dave, have probably like 10 iPod USB cables oh, sure. around here. Yeah. And, and they can certainly suffer from intermittent, you know, strain, you know, strain yeah. on the cable and stuff like that. So, but you're right. Uh, something like hardware growler could show you if your device is freaking out and connecting and disconnecting and stuff. And you wouldn't know that otherwise. Now, you've got something to tell us about hardware growler, don't you? And, you know, we might as well just jump to that. Go. You're confusing me here because usually we have a very structured. <laughs> Go. We're right here. Go. Okay. So the thing is, so Hardware Growler is uh, from the, the, the good folks that make Growl. But it, it is a tool that will show you all sorts of things that are happening at the hardware level on your computer, uh, on your Mac. But it's not. And here's what it shows you. And this is why I find it such a valuable tool for both myself and, and the audience here is it shows you if you're making a network connection, if you lose a network connection, if you're making a hardware based connection, like a USB device. So as soon as you plug in a USB device, it will come up and say, Hey, I see an iPod or an iPhone or whatever the heck you plug in. But more importantly, it will tell you if it goes away, which is not always obvious. And it tells you a number of other things. Now, the thing I, the, the reason I want to mention it is that they did have version 1.22, I think it was, which came with the last version of Growl. The problem is, is that hardware Growler under Lion, when you wake your machine up, and this was pretty annoying for me, but it, it still worked, is that as soon as you woke a Lion machine up from sleep, at least my MacBook Pro early 2008, you would get a crash report. And it would say, okay, or reopen. And I would say, reopen. The thing is, number one, it cluttered the huh. crash logs. And number two, it was just annoying. It's like, why, why do you all of a sudden not, not work under Lion? And, and then I was uh, over the weekend just looking for a solution to this problem. I think I went to their website. I, I believe it's open source. But then I saw comments and they said, oh, by the way, you know, we just released a new version on uh, November 6th. And I was like, yay. So we're going to include a link to this. So it is now up to Hardware Growler version 1.3. And it does not crash when you wake from sleep on a Lion machine, at least my MacBook Pro. and. To me, it, it, it's $1.99 to me for the amount of troubleshooting knowledge that it gives you. Uh, the, to me, it's a no-brainer. So I, I paid the $1.99 for this. So Cool. Cool. All right, let's go to Ernesto. Ernesto says, uh, I was trying to help a friend who has an iPhone 3GS and a Windows PC. My friend has voicemails that she wants to save the voicemails from her iPhone. Is there a way to convert or transfer the voicemail to either a voice memo on the iPhone or to an audio file on her computer? I looked online and what I could find indicated that you would have to grab the audio file from the iPhone backup, 
but wasn't clear on how to do that. I also found a desktop app called the Missing Sync that allows you to transfer the voicemail to your computer, but in an ironic twist, that feature is only available for the Mac version and not the PC version. So yeah, this is interesting, Ernesto. I did some searching because uh, I too knew about some apps that would do this, but and I'm not sure why, but it seems like all of the ones that I found that did have a cross-platform, you know, um, analog to them, the the voicemail feature, uh, similar to the SMS archiving and all of that stuff, uh, only worked on the Mac. Now, I, I have a, a piece of software called PhoneView from Ecamm. Uh, dot com ecamm.com we talked about it all the time but it's one of the like i said it's kind of a catch-all tool uh, i think we talked about it last week but it does let you pull the voicemails off now i know there was some talk about it being jailbroken so let's um it might we're needing to be jailbroken but i don't think it does in fact i'm gonna go ahead and plug in my uh my iphone into my oh, computer right now i heard that yeah and i'm gonna launch phone view and it's finding my iPhone. And if I go to now, this this is my iPhone 4S. So I think by definition, it's impossible for it to be jailbroken because I don't think you can jailbreak the 4S yet. And I will go to voicemail and it's uh, churning a little bit here. And there it goes the little beach. And there's the voicemail just sitting right there. And I can copy them. I can play them in the interface in phone view. I can archive them off. I can highlight it and choose the copy from iPhone button. So here's the thing. I don't know why the Windows versions of this software won't do this, but you aren't out of luck. Uh, normally, you don't want to plug uh, an i. You can't sync an iPhone with multiple machines, right? It you know it starts getting wonky and says, "Well, I'm synced mm -hmm. with one," and you know you have to erase my syncing and go to the other. But PhoneView doesn't care. In fact, my iPhone is not synced with this computer that I'm podcasting on right now. But PhoneView doesn't care. PhoneView just talks to the device directly, and there's no uh, you know one to one sync kind of thing. It just says, "Well, here's what I see," and I can take the data off or I can put some data on. So. Uh, so there you go. You can uh, you can you could do this for your friend. You could invite your friend over, plug in the iPhone and uh, and then just transfer his or her voicemails off. So so that I think that's the that's the way to go. Uh, and then you get to be the savior. And that's cool. Maybe you get, you know, a beer or lunch out of it or something. So that's good. Any uh, any other thoughts on that one, John? Or are we moving on to uh, <laughs> to Paul? You're not mixing them up, Dave, but, but I will say I have a number of thoughts. So number one, I, I applaud Ernesto for, for making friends with people that are not using Macs. That, that, that's very cool because you may want to try to bring them into the fold. But the only th other thing I mentioned is that there is a utility okay. um, that I did. a uh, And it's funny because it's evolved because when I did a little uh, Mac gadget on it, it was called iPhone Explorer. Mm. Now it's called iExplorer apparently due to uh, some trademark or other legal issues. Well, but it's, but it's also, it, it'll work not just with your iPhone, but it'll work with your iPad and your, and your iPod. Correct. Too. So, so yeah. iExplorer is a nice program for perusing at least the subset of what is on your iDevice. But, but the, the plus for me, the thumbs up with this is that it's not only Mac, but it is also PC. I guess the only caveat I'm looking at their webpage. Now it says requires iTunes 10 or later. So, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, wait, it requires iTunes 10 for, for phone view. Is that right? Cause I don't have iTunes running uh, on the PC. 
Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, apparently, and that, also that may be why. That may be the thing, right? Maybe there's mm-hmm. no. I mean, I, I see. If it has to go through iTunes, I could see why it wouldn't be able to to have access to everything on on the on the device, right? It's only going to see what iTunes lets it see. But why couldn't you just talk USB directly to the the thing? I, I'm I'm still scratching my head over why that would why that would be the case. <laughs> Keep so. keep scratching. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep scratching. I think it's just the way it's gonna be. I don't know. I wish I knew more. But it's uh, a nice option. I, I liked using it because I, 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 I used it to pull pictures off of my iDevice. I explore. Right. Good stuff. We're gonna link to it. What's next? All right. Paul writes. Uh let's see. I'm having some odd issues with mail underline, and I'm hoping to get oh see. See how I am? I should have muted what my phone. Is that? Well, see, I unmuted my phone so that you'd hear so that for our demo, you'd actually hear me plugging it in. And uh, and usually I leave it muted during the podcast because, you know, things like that happen. And it's, it's kind of an interruption because we don't like to have interruptions. Mm-hmm. So my apologies for that. Uh, all in the name of a good demo. Paul writes having some odd issues with mail underline, and I'm hoping to get some advice. There are two that I would like to address today. Number one, whenever I launch mail, it asks me for a password for mobile me. When I enter it, it fails. This began after I migrated to iCloud. My password did not change in the migration. As you can see, and he sent a screenshot, a mobile me icon was added in my inbox and it has an offline symbol. It also shows up in the accounts tab of mail preferences. Is it okay to just delete that quote unquote account? Uh, And in his preferences, he also has his iCloud account. Now, what's important to note is that once you've migrated from MobileMe to iCloud, you no longer have a MobileMe account. So that's why this uh, this mail, this account can't connect because it doesn't exist anymore. So that's uh, that that's the answer to that. So, uh, yes, you're safe to delete it, but. First, you have to promise me you're going to back up your mail folder before you delete anything because you never know. Right. Uh, so what you would do to back that up is you'd quit mail and then just make a copy of I mean, you can do it with time machine or whatever you want. But if you just want to back up your mail folder, make a copy of going to your home folder, going to library and inside library is mail. And if you can't get to library because you're running lion and it hides it, uh, go to the go menu at the top of the screen and uh, hold down the option key and uh, library will appear in that little menu. So, uh, and then it'll let you go to library inside. There is mail, make a copy of that, save it somewhere, do whatever you need to do. Uh, then relaunch mail and you can, you can remove this account. Problem number two, he says somewhere along the line, I'm not sure when I wound up with both a pop and an IMAP connection to my Gmail account. I just as soon keep the IMAP connection and make the other go away. But when I try to delete it, I get a warning that all the mail will be deleted. You'll also note, and again, he's referring to his picture. uh, His pop account shows more unread messages than the IMAP account. And since they're the same account, why aren't they showing the same thing? Okay. Uh, So again, make sure you made your backup. Uh, And then yes, you can delete the pop account, but you're right. You get a warning message when you try to delete a pop account. And the reason is, uh, let's let, let's talk about the differences between IMAP and POP. IMAP, everything is stored on the server and is maintained there. Your computer is simply a replica of the server. If you make a change on your computer, your mail client then goes and tells the server to make that change. So if you remove the, um, 
if you remove an account from your uh, from mail, if you remove an IMAP account from mail, it, nothing happens on the server. You've just essentially disconnected mail from that account. Uh, it does remove what was in your it removes from your computer what was in your inbox, your sent box, your drafts and your trash, because that's part of deleting it. But again, it all remains on the server. There is no delete command that's sent up there. When you remove a pop account, though, the pop account is just slurping data down from the server and is not syncing with it. So anything again, when you delete the account, it removes from your computer, the inbox, the sent, the draft, the drafts and the trash. But there is no guarantee that all of that data is still out on the server because the pop account really doesn't have a it's just not how it works. So it's warning you that you may be deleting the only copies of these messages that you have because it's in theory pulled them down from the server and then deleted them from the server. In the case with Gmail, uh, if you're happy with what you see in your IMAP account, then go ahead and delete the pop account because those it's not going to mess with anything on the server. It's just going to delete the duplicates that are there on your, on your computer, assuming they're duplicates. So again, make a backup, but, uh, but you are safe and, and you do only want to connect with one or the other. Um, the reason that you're seeing different counts for unread messages is exactly what I explained. The IMAP account is in sync with the server. The pop accounts not. So if you read something in your pop mailbox, it's not going to go and make it read on the server. Whereas if you read something in your IMAP mailbox, it is going to go and make it market read on the server. So Johnny B. <laughs> no, that was unoriginal, but Hey, it's a handoff. So uh, I want to crystallize what you said here. And the thing is, is that IMAP, uh, I almost see as a two way deal. So pop, Pop is just a way for you to pick up your mail. It is not a way for you to send whatever is on your computer to a server and synchronize it. And I think that's the key difference between IMAP and Pop. Is that IMAP, although you may be using another mechanism, which we call SMTP, to send mail, I think the key difference is that IMAP allows one to take what has been locally recorded on your computer as being sent but also synchronize it more like a like a database to the IMAP server. And that's the big, big difference and the big, big advantage of IMAP is that it's not just a way to pick up mail, but it's also a way to synchronize information from your computer to a server somewhere else. Right? Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Because it is. I mean, you helped me see the light because, you know, at, at one point I was, you know, all on the pop thing. And, and uh, until I realized the, the, the error of my ways and that, oh, my gosh, the only place the data exists is on my computer. Right. And that's the big. And, and for everybody, that's the big problem with pop. And I've had a number of people write us with various questions or just tweet to me or whatever. But the problem is, is pop, especially for sense stuff, that's not stored on the server at all. It's only on your computer. So right. You lose it. You lose everything because That's there right. is no server. Whereas uh, at least with IMAP, if you choose to do so, and I think it's usually the default, you will be storing not only, you know, what you, what you're incoming, but also your outgoing stuff. And that that's, that's the, I think the big thumbs up with, with IMAP is that you can choose to do that. Yeah. Say that again. I want to make sure I got that right. What I'm saying is that pop, well, neither protocol supports 
So the thing is, you have two protocols for incoming. POP and IMAP are both protocols for picking up mail. Correct. The thing is, IMAP allows you to not only keep track of your incoming mail, but also to synchronize data that is on your local computer. That's such as sent mail. All right. Right. Or archived mail or anything. Right. Anything beyond picked up mail. So, so the thing is, both protocols allow you to store mail that is intended for you to pick up on the server. That's right. That's right. But the thing is, POP gives you no provision for storing data outside of what is mail intended for you to pick up. That, that, IMAP that's right. it's, allows yes, you to synchronize yes. data, which I think could be any data, really. Yeah. It usually is just yeah. data of mail that you've archived, yeah. as you've sent, stuff like that. So but Mail with MobileMe and, and I think with iCloud lets you store notes and that sort of thing up on the, uh, on the IMAP server, too. So yeah, you know, which... Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it that's is a good important. Point. It is important, though, to note, and I've been through this recently with a friend. Uh, the server is it, it, you said it's a two way sync and it is because you can take data from your computer and push it up. But the server is always going to be treated as gospel. So, for example, if you hmm. have if you have something, uh, let's say you have an IMAP account, right? And uh, you have two computers connected to it and you start them off. And on day one, all everything's in sync, right? So you, you turn them on, the computers sync up and everything's good. And then you go to computer a and you shut computer a off. So it is no longer connected to the internet and it's not syncing with the mm-hmm. IMAP server. Now you go to computer B and you delete a whole bunch of messages from the IMAP server. Right. And, and then you shut off computer B Computer A still has those messages, but computer A will lose those messages the moment it syncs up with that IMAP server because the server is always gospel. So now that those messages have been deleted from the server, they will they will be deleted from all clients that connect after Mm -hmm. the fact. So it's just important to remember that, you know, if and so in that case, you know, it was like, okay, don't connect that computer to the Internet wait, let's copy those messages off and then, you know, somehow maybe re-import them back in in a way that's going to allow us Mm -hmm. to create them as though the server is seeing them new. Because if the server realizes, you know, if the server sees them in the place where it left them for you, it's going to delete them. So you got to let it delete them. And that's what we did. We copied the stuff out and then we let the server delete them. And then we copied them back in and the server said, oh, there's new messages. We should sync these up and make sure everything's good. And then it was all happy. So just... Bear that in mind. It's a nuance, but, you know, it's all, all this stuff. I say, well, you know, you only want to, you know, we, we try to talk about things here that, that apply to, you know, I have this 20% rule that I want everything to apply to at least 20% of the audience. But, you know, in a case like that, when you've got files that are about to be deleted, you're either zero or a hundred percent. It either applies to you or it doesn't. Right. And when it's a hundred percent, it's important. So, mm-hmm. so there we go. Let's go while we're on the mail subject, let's go mm-hmm. to Matthew. And uh, of course, I still have Paul's message up here. So Matthew says, I'm having a slight problem with the keychain in that every time I wake up my MacBook Air from sleeping, mail will ask me for my password and then ask me again every so often, sometimes a few times in a day. Any idea how to fix this? So this sounds like a keychain issue, uh, but. What's interesting about mail is it's not very tolerant to any issues that the server might have. So if the server rejects your login for any reason, mail's first line of defense is to say, I have the wrong password. 
Uh, and it will then ask you, it'll say, Oh, you, I don't have your password. You need to provide your password. So you type it in. And then if maybe the server, you know, maybe the server was having a hiccup, maybe there was some issue, maybe there was, you know, something going on that it couldn't authenticate you or it couldn't finish connecting properly. And, uh, and so that, that keeps, that will keep wiping out your keychain. So, uh, there, there, you know, if you do have a problem with your keychain, though, there is a way to fix it. You can go into applications and utilities and launch keychain access and then choose uh, keychain first aid from the keychain access menu. And that will let you verify and if necessary, repair your keychain. And, and I've actually had good luck using that. So uh, so so that's something to try. But again, depending on what mail server you're connecting to. These problems may not be indicative of a problem on your Mac. They might be indicative of a problem elsewhere. And and now I want to pass it along <laughs> to my my my. Well, I think I think we can let this introduction do it do it uh, do it on its own here, right? I mean, I think we can. Right, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny B with the good advice, good advice. <laughs> there you go. That's your that's your theme music. I'm so pumped. On. I I don't know where to go here, but you know, I've actually, I got a little, I'm gonna, it's going to be a fish shake. Okay. Go so on. I've run into this Dave with mail on my MacBook pro with lion. I've, I've been getting a dialogue saying, I don't know what your password is, dude. Can you submit it again, please? Now, the only caveat I'll mention here related to this issue is that there is a little checkbox saying, by the way, whatever password I type in, can you store it in the keychain for me? But 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 I think I concur with you in that uh you know that was a really neat little lead in. <laughs> Good. I wish you I wish you had saved it for a more monumental well hey you know earth-shattering question here but it but it was welcome. So <laughs> but but the thing is no is that uh, no I've noticed that actually over the weekend um iCloud seemed to have a little problem because so mail app on my MacBook Pro is running uh iCloud, I'm doing my ISP, I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, Gmail and all that. But it kept coming up saying there's an error logging into blah, 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 iCloud, whatever, on IMAP port, whatever. And it kept saying that. The thing is, the IMAP servers were down. So I guess to your point, Dave, uh, when mail servers are down, you're going to get this dialogue and it's not necessarily a problem with the keychain. It's a problem with the mail server. That's right. That's right. Yep. And it made me sad. Uh, eventually, I went to the iCloud status page and five minutes after I tweeted this and a lot of people said, hey, I got the same problem. Then eventually the iCloud status page said, oh, yeah, by the way, some people maybe have problems logging with mail. So. Uh, All right. Go. And our, our second sponsor for today is Gazelle at Gazelle dot com. This is the place you want to go if you've got an old iPhone, an old iPod, maybe an old cell phone, an old laptop. You go here, you type in the name of your product, just visit gazelle.com. And, uh, and it's really easy and really quick. And they'll tell you what they'll pay you for it. Uh, it's fun. I, I, like I said, every, you know, every month when we do this, uh, this sponsorship, it always, you know, I, as I'm prepping the show, I think, Oh yeah, let me see if they've changed anything. And, you know, and I always have fun going through, uh, the website because I can pick some cool little device I have and say, well, wow, that's worth like 80 bucks. Huh? Maybe I should send it in. If it's been sitting on my desk for a month, if I have this rule, if it's been sitting on my desk since the last time I prepped for it, I'm sending it in. Cause I'm not using it. You know, nobody in the house is using it. Off it goes. <laughs> so, uh, so do that, right. You know, take it today right now. You, you know, if you're sitting at your desk, 
Find whatever it is that's sitting there. I know if you're like us, you've got stuff laying around. So go type it in. And then next month, I'll remind you when we do the spot, find that same stuff. If it's in the same spot you left it today, now you send it into Gazelle. And if you don't want to wait, you don't have to. But this is a little game we'll play together. So you visit Gazelle.com. Tell them what you have. Uh, they'll tell you what it's worth. You answer some questions about the, you know, the the state of the uh, device and the quality and, and the condition. And uh, and then if you say, yeah, that sounds good, they'll send you a box uh, and you ship the thing back to them. They'll pay for shipping. And when they get it, they make sure it's, you know, that you and them agree on the condition. And if they do, then uh, they'll, they'll send you your money. If they don't, they'll actually get with you and say either it's worse or even sometimes, hey, you know, you said it was good. We think it's excellent. So we're going to pay you extra. Is that cool? And if you agree, you say, yeah. And if you don't, if you disagree, you say, no, you know what? If it's really that good, send it back. I want it. I still want to use it. And uh, and they'll send it back to you. So uh, check it all out. Gazelle.com. And now let's uh, let's talk about this is an interesting issue because I've seen this before. Allison, uh, Allison, has, this is Allison Sheridan oh, from the no. uh, from the pod feet. Uh, sorry. Yeah. From podfeet.com, of course, from the Nozilla cast. So. She says, I've got a Mac mini hooked up to my TV using Wi-Fi to my airport extreme. This airport mm -hmm. also hosts uh, three MacBooks of various sizes and shapes and an iMac all without issue. And of course, our iPhones and iPads also work flawlessly on this network. The Mac mini after resting for 24 hours unused in between daily streaming of our various favorite TV shows will not connect to the Internet until I reboot before the reboot. I can check the uh, network system preference pane and TCP IP has an IP. I can ping that IP from my other Macs. Uh, I've released and renewed the DHCP lease. I've given it a manual IP just to make things interesting. Uh, in a stroke of desperation, I even tried using Google's DNS. Nothing helps except a reboot. And the next day it happens again. Okay. So to distill this down, your Mac is still on your network. Are you, uh, because, if you can ping it from another machine, then that means that your Mac is alive. Uh, I would also try pinging other machines from your Mac just to make sure your router's not doing something funny. Uh, but chances are you're going to be able to, uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to be on the network. So if assuming that that's the case, and I think that's a safe assumption at this point, then what it means is that your Mac has lost its ability to route packets out to the internet. Uh, and it's lost what in network terminology is called its default route and that it's trying to go somewhere else. Now, typically a DHCP renew and release would fix this, uh, but it doesn't. So the next thing I would try is to turn off Wi-Fi and turn it back on and see if that helps, because that's going to completely remove the device from the network stack and put it back on. Uh, and actually won't completely do it. The way to completely do that, if that failing that is to go in and remove everything in uh, the system preferences network pane, just highlight them and remove them. Ethernet airport, you know, firewire, if it's listed there, uh, internal modem, if that's listed, pull them all out, make the thing empty, then quit system preferences to let the changes stick, come back in and add in your airport connection and only your airport connection. Uh, it's possible that something else is grabbing that priority uh, and getting your default route. So if all you have out here is your airport connection, then in theory, nothing else can grab that that deal. So add that in uh, and see if that lets you stick that that would be I think that might work. I think that might work. So uh, 
And, and you yeah. delete them, delete them by hitting, you know, hitting the minus key and then to put it back, hit the plus key. It'll ask you what you want to add. You say Wi-Fi and we'll leave it alone. Um, Wi-Fi if it's running Lion, Airport if it's running uh, Snow Leopard or, or earlier. So that would be my thought. I, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts, uh, Mr. Braun. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm sure you do. All right. So number one, a reserved, uh, I don't know if she uh, mentioned that mm. she's doing this, but a reserved DHCP is highly recommended. Yeah, but number I don't two, think that's going to help. I, mean, I don't think that's going to solve her problem. It would help other things, though. It could. Number two, um, uh, to me, it sounds like a DHCP lease issue. So I don't know if you want to increase the lease time. Yeah, but uh, if she can set. ping it, it's not it's not a lease issue. Well, uh, I I respectfully disagree. She's pinging something. Right. I don't know if she's necessarily pinging what she thinks she's pinging. Well, and that's why so, I said to ping from her Mac mini as well as uh, to okay. her Mac mini. Right. Because you want to. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. You want to test that. That's right. Right. And and DHCP and, and the thing is, I've been talking to a number of people as of late about the whole airport or time capsule DHCP and reserved address thing. And the thing you want to be very careful of, and, and you can make this mistake, I have, but if you have a reserved DHCP range, make sure that at least on the airport utility, that the range of your starting and ending DHCP is different from those right so you want to have your reservations outside of your dhcp range correct yeah so the thing is at least on the airport you will get a number of choices one you will get a choice for reserved addresses where you can define a specific ip address map to either a mac address or a client id the thing is also on that same screen you will see a dhcp beginning and ending address make sure those are distinct and separate because I found this. I think I did this once when Dave, you suggested, I think when you, you uh, long ago suggested, Hey, you know what? And, and to me, reserve DHCP is the way to go for almost all situations. The thing is I screwed up when I first did this and, and a, a, a finger ragged apple, their utility does not, <laughs> it allows you at least the, when I did it, it allows you to screw up. It allows you to define an IP address. Oh Yeah. In the within, range, in the reserved range that is also within the begin and end, which that's to right. me is like, dude, come on. To me, that's a, such a simple thing to check. I don't know why they I, I don't know why they would allow it. Is there a reason to allow that? I, I, I don't I, get it. No, I no, I don't get it either. But I have seen that. Um, my, you know, I've talked about the DDWRT firmware that I use mm -hmm. and, and that lets me do the same thing. In fact, it took me a little while to realize that, you know, you shouldn't do that because I thought, well, if DHCP is going to assign this, it has to be in the range. And so I was really kind of confused on it. And then at one point I'm like, this is stupid. And I tried it outside the range. I'm like, oh, that works. <laughs> That's way better uh, for all the obvious reasons. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, John, we have a. uh so hopefully that helps Allison. We have a geek challenge here and uh, whoa. Yeah, we do. Uh, Scott writes, I have a question regarding talking between Macs. Essentially I'm after an app that works and I want everybody to pay attention here because we may or may not have this answer. So we're looking oh. to you, right? Uh, unless, unless you have the answer, John, but uh, Scott writes, well, you say pay attention, but I don't, but I know, go, but the rest of them, 
the rest of our listeners do. So this is important. <laughs> Essentially, I'm after an app that works like an intercom system. So for example, I'd like to be able to click or press a button and then speak. And all the other recipient Macs can hear what I say and vice versa. I don't want a solution where the other people have to answer like Skype or iChat. Uh, that's more like a phone where they have to press a pickup button to hear what I'm saying. I just want them to hear what I'm saying automatically without recipient intervention. Is there such an app? And if so, what's it called? So I, I, I will leave this here, although I have I have some ideas. John, do you have any uh, do you have any thoughts on this before we I have the answer? Well, that's even better. Well, well, it's good news and bad news. So the good news is I have the answer. And it's an app that, as far as I can tell, at least works on Lion because I downloaded okay. it. The bad news is it looks like the developer kind of gave up on it, but it's oh. called Talky. T-A-L-K-I-E. That sounds like what we want. And it looks like the app does. And, and I downloaded it. I, I, I checked it out and it has uh, the, the interface could not. Uh, I don't know why he abandoned it because he or she. Uh, it has two buttons. It puts it in the menu bar, and then you have two buttons. You have a button, which is the channel, and then you have a talk button. Huh. And that's it. It's so simple. And I don't know if you're finding it here, Dave. I mean, well, I, I, found, I, I found a website about it, but I don't think it has. There's no download link. Well, I was able to dig around. So in, in the lovingly handcrafted show notes, I was able to download a copy of this, and it runs on, on my Lion machine. Okay, good. So I right. was not. I, I didn't spend the time to put it on another computer. Okay. Uh, but it looks like a, a solution for, yeah, local network where, yeah, you click the button and everybody else who's tuned in on that channel. Here's what you're saying. So, so it makes me sad because it looks like it was a up and coming, a, a tasty pixel was the developer right. or is the developer, but they, they, I guess didn't get enough action. Yeah. It's too bad because there are a number of other ways to do this. Not quite. I mean, of course you could do Skype or iChat or whatever on a local network, but, yeah, it's not. So I, I actually have a thought about that because you could no. use Skype. Uh, really? Yeah. And I think the way you would deal with this and I'm looking and you, you go into Skype preferences and you go to incoming calls and choose answer automatically. Uh, Ooh, so you could good. do this, but of course it, you know, it, it gets kind of wonky because now you're only calling one Mac. Uh, you're not broadcasting among, you know, it's not, it's not doing it like an, in, an in-house intercom system kind of thing, but, but that would, that would be sort of a workaround would be to have Skype do the answer mm -hmm. automatically thing. So it'll, you know, you say ring, it answers, you say whatever you need to say, and then you hang up and a little bit clunky, but you know, it, 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 it would suffice uh, in a pinch. So if anybody else has any ideas, uh, we will certainly reach out to, uh, to Michael at a tasty pixel and let him know that, uh, that at least Scott would love to see talkie, uh, continue to be developed, but, uh, but maybe that's not, maybe that's not enough. But anyway, uh, I think that, uh, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up here for today. In fact, if I can find the band, I'm going to go ahead and try and bring them in. In fact, there they are. I think they're, Oh, I, I was thinking there, there was a party because it's very warm. At least in my part of the East Coast, Dave. That's a good thing because my uh, my zone for the office will not call for heat automatically. 
I think the uh, I thought it was the thermostat, but it's not. The thermostat closes the loop just fine. I think it's the there's there's like that thing on the boiler. I forget what you call it, but uh, you can manually open the zone and then it works fine. But oh, uh, yeah, it doesn't. It's not opening automatically. I have so. those. Oh, I've I've had multiple wrestlings with my heating systems. Uh, of course, it's it's no. I've harder. I've had uh, so I have a three zone system. Circulator pump been replaced. Relay box been replaced. Yeah. Yeah. The joys of home. Terrible. But enough about heating. Feedback. Feedback at MacGeekab.com is what you would write to if you had a, well, perhaps a non-heating question to to ask uh, or a tip to share. Well, no, I I wouldn't do that, Dave. What would you do, John? I would write to feedback. At MacGeekCap.com. Yeah, you know, I would write to feedback at MacGeekCap.com unless I was a premium member, and then I would write to premium at MacGeekCap.com because that... What is... I gotta ask you, Dave, what is premium? So premium is a special address reserved for people who are premium subscribers. And premium, because you asked, is an extra offering that John and I do. It's an extra two episodes a month, access to all the archives... And that warm, fuzzy feeling you get from supporting your two favorite geeks. It's 25 bucks for six months, and uh, and we'd love to have you over there. In fact, we'll be doing a premium episode this Thursday morning, I believe. And, uh, and Yes, we will. Yeah. So, and, and at this time of year, it's important to feel warm it and is, fuzzy, perhaps. That's right. That's right. Uh, you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is... Four, three, three, five. But that, that's not the only way you can reach us. We've just done this crazy Facebook thing. So Facebook.com slash MacGeekab. You can see when the show is posted, when the show notes are posted. And if you want to interact with the, the rest of the uh, MacGeekab crowd, you can do that on Facebook. There's probably another. Uh, what's this thing called? Is it uh, begins with a T? So you can find us on Twitter, Twitter.com/slash ah, MacGeekab for the show, Twitter.com/slash John F Braun for him, Twitter.com/slash Dave Hamilton for me, Twitter.com/slash Pilot Pete. Anybody remember Pilot Pete? Where is he? <laughs> and of course, Twitter.com/slash Mac Observer. Uh, and we would like to thank Michael Johnston, who's also on Twitter at Michael Johnston. He's the host of the We Have Communicators podcast. And he's also the one who converts this to AAC and puts all the chapters in for all of you and for us. Cashfly also does something for all of you and for us. They provide the bandwidth to get this podcast from us to you, and we certainly appreciate that. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Bare Bones, Text Expander from Smile, and, of course, Gazelle at gazelle.com, all through Backbeat Media. And we really do appreciate the support of all of you premium members and all of our sponsors. It really helps keep us doing what we're doing here. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it, simply thank you. We'll be back on Thursday for the premium show. And we're back thank again you. next Monday for another one of these. And then, uh, then we're off for a week. So have fun and don't get caught.